In America, we don't worship government, we worship God.
Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 141, I believe. Episode 100. Oh, I'm sorry. Episode 143. Episode 143. Um, Today we have another incredible family and friends guest, none other than Nicole No Grady, a.k.a. Lady No Grady, who has an incredible, incredible song out now uh, that we're going to share with you uh, before we bring on Nicole. Very rare, very rare do we have people with incredible, brilliant, musical, creative talent, voices uh, that that create original music that um, inspires and honors our our Christian heritage, our our Christian roots, or our Christian identity, really our faith. I mean, all the other things are are neither here nor there that honor our Christian faith. Uh, Nicole has made an incredible song uh, of that sort. And we brought her on today to talk about the song, but also her time in Hollywood, her time living in California, uh, her time in the music business or in, in the the, uh, the entertainment business, and what drove her to write this song and, and how she feels about the holy war, as she calls it, uh, taking place in our country, but all around the world. Uh, so without further ado, I bring to you Nicole Nogrady. Welcome, the great Nicole No Grady, also known as Lady No Grady on social media if you're looking for. Uh, welcome to Please Call Me Crazy. We're happy to have you. We're excited to have you. We're very excited about your new song, uh, which is the, the, the new anthem for all of the Christian nationalists who they so uh, disparagingly call us domestic terrorists nowadays, which for the life of me is so absurd I can barely can barely tolerate it, but we're happy. We're happy that you've uh, made the song. I, I heard it. It's, it's incredible. You have an incredible voice. I look forward Thank to hearing you. more music from you, but I want to get to a little bit of the backstory of your backstory. I know you have an incredible backstory, and I want to talk a little bit about it today and let the audience become a little more familiar with you. Obviously, you're in the the uh, the cockpit, right, the mothership of the, the nationalist populist <laughs> movement right there in the war room. Uh, for all of you out there who don't know, well, I'll let you. I'll let you talk about your your uh, your relationship with Steve and and the War Room and the entire movement. So, um, to start, yeah, just get us going on where you grew up, where you came from, a little bit of the Nicole backstory. Feel free to stop whenever you want. I'll interject when 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 I see fit. But I want to know a little bit about who you are, and I want the audience to know a little bit about your backstory. Well, I'm a born and raised California girl. I still live in California. And I'm involved in the fight heavily in California because it's a beautiful state. And don't listen to what they say about California. There's so many patriots there. And uh, we're definitely not blue. We're definitely purple. Um, I don't know which shade of purple we are, but we're definitely purple. Um, But born and raised in Southern California in Orange County. Uh, Grew up with with a single mom. And uh, I haven't really gone farther than... 
than Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles when I was only 22, so I was pretty young. I moved up there because I had the stars in my eyes, and uh, I, I had always done drama, theater arts, choir, all the things growing up, and so I wanted to go to Hollywood, you know? I wanted to be a star, uh, and I moved up there. And I, I went to the Musicians Institute in Hollywood, which is right on Hollywood Boulevard. So I couldn't have been any more like right there in Hollywood than I was. Um, I spent 15 years living in Hollywood, which is it's only about 60 miles away from Orange County. So I, I wasn't too far from home. So I spent a lot of time still in Orange County. Um, but the two places are, I mean, like night and day. Couldn't be any more different, you know, politically, right. uh, it's just, yeah, just so different. And, um, I, 10 of those years in Hollywood, I worked in film, TV and music. And when I got there, I landed a, I landed a stand in job for an actress and comedian named Sarah Silverman. I know Sarah and, very well. Oh, oh, you do? Yeah. Continue. Wow. So, so yeah, so I was a stand in for Sarah for a couple years and then did a lot of that kind of work. It was really good practice being a stand in. What is, so what is a, what does a stand in do exactly? I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the, with the movie business, with the TV business. <laughs> so you have your actors and they have to focus on the, being the, you know, the characters and the lines. And, um, but the time that it takes to set up a scene can go anywhere, can range anywhere from 15 minutes to sometimes, you know, a few hours, two, three hours to set up just one scene, one shot, make sure all of the camera angles are lined up perfect, mm. make sure the track sometimes, if, if they're putting the camera on a track is lined up, um, these big bright lights, uh, you know, the microphones, there's so much setup that they need people who resemble the, the uh, actors to basically stand in and stand on the marks for those actors and uh, to like <clears throat> run through the scenes with the camera, with the director, sometimes even read the lines so that they have everything completely, the whole, the whole world, they call it set up before then they bring in the actors and then they actually shoot the scene. Got it. So it's, Got it. it's really, I, I really don't think that they get that standards get enough credit. Um, Cause you know, sometimes, yeah, you are just kind of standing there, but, uh, but it's, it's long days, long hours, yeah. the pay and the pay is, is, is pretty decent. So I got kind of locked into that type of work for years. Uh, I was good at it. I already had experience with some acting and theater arts. So it was great experience learning how to work with cameras and, uh, directors of photography. And actually I really, I really did like it. Um, and so while I was doing that at night, I was working on music, so I didn't get much sleep, but, uh, but yeah, that was really my, my passion was, was more on the music side than on like the acting side, because I kind of realized that as an actor, and I really do respect actors, but in my mind, it was like, I don't want to be like a puppet. You know, I felt more like if you're an actor, you're just kind of a puppet, but when you're a musician and especially a writer, you're, you're, you know, putting yourself out there in the world. And so I was recording my album at night and standing in during the day. So it was a lot. Yeah. Uh, 
but I ended up working, I ended up falling into, I say falling in because it was completely like, I don't want to say by, by accident because there are no accidents, but I just happened to be hanging out in, in a recording studio with a friend who was a producer and these very interesting looking guys walked in, you know, just crazy hair, crazy tattoos. I mean, like head to toe tattoos before that was very popular like it is now. And I ended up hanging out and just we, we were throwing around ideas in the studio and I ended up on a track of theirs and then they liked it. And I ended up doing like a whole big feature with them. And we shot a music video that now has like 25 million plays on it, which was a lot for, for like 10 years ago. But I didn't do my research on them. And after I was already on their album and I got to know them more, I, I realized that a lot of their imagery was very kind of, kind of dark. Their vibe was, was dark there. It's when I started really waking up to like, kind of like the flow of energy in, in, in the creative world. And I really started seeing, wow, <laughs> this stuff is satanic. <laughs> like I, Satanism. I can't, I, yeah. It's a lot of Satanism you know? in the creative arts. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I really woke up to that. And I mean, I, they did a photo shoot one time where, I mean, they were just covered in, in like fake blood and, that's when I started going, oh crap, <laughs> like what did I get myself into? There's yeah. really at that point nothing I could do about it. Um, and they they started, I started gaining a lot of popularity with their audience and they really took a liking to me because I was kind of more like the mainstream person in their little, I wasn't in their group, I was just doing like a feature with them, mm-hmm. but I think maybe they didn't like the amount of attention that I was getting. So they started really sliding me. Like they didn't credit me on things like, you know, MTV two, they didn't put my credit up there Um, on, you know, the music video at first, they didn't put the credit there. I just, I really saw just like how people can be so evil and lack integrity. And I got so burnt out. And I also had a lot of personal things going on in my life at the time that I just almost overnight, like just dropped it all and turned my back on it. And, uh, I went like super left field and I said, you know, I'm going to take a break from this for a while and I'm going to pursue one of my other interests, which has always been massage therapy and like alternative healing modalities. You know, there's, there's like, uh, you know, a lot of people might not believe it, but there's, you know, like Reiki and things like that. Um, and I've personally experienced a lot of healing from those modalities. So I went to massage therapy school and I, and I really, I really loved it. I really loved it. It really healed so, so much of me and my soul and obviously my body because I got to get massaged all the time. Um, and And, you know, I always had music in the back of my mind and, uh, and always said, well, you know, okay, if I want it, it's there. And also massage was a tool that I said, okay, I can build a business. I can have the freedom to, to create my own schedule, which means that I don't have to do all this stand and work and whatnot. I can be my own boss and 
you know, pay for my next album without being on a label because I didn't want to play that game either. And that was my plan. Uh, but what ended up happening was I got, I was, I was almost like too, not too good at massage, but uh, I got, I had a lot of clients and I got so busy that it just totally took over. And, um, and I did that for, for about five years. But what was interesting is, is during that time, you know, you know, when you, when you, well, I don't know if in your case, but when, when you go to the hair salon and you get your hair done, your, your, your hairstylist almost becomes like, like a therapist in a way. Barbara, 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 the same way. I don't, I don't go anymore. I've, I've lost all of my, my reasons to go, but. (laughs) I didn't want to say anything, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, kind of like being a hairstylist as a massage therapist, people feel that need to connect with you really personally because it is a very personal thing getting a massage. And so people really started opening up to me and I had some big clients like, uh, like one of them was a big producer and one of the things he worked on was like, you know, game of Thrones, which, you know, was, is a big show. And I just, I started talking to my clients about politics and I'll backtrack a little bit back to when I was working on the Sarah Silverman program. There was an episode on the show that had like, they were kind of, I don't want to say mocking, but they were like reenacting nine 11. Okay. Two characters were dressed up in these like cardboard boxes and another guy comes in in a little plane costume and he knocks the one guy off this little stage at this cafe where the characters used to hang out at. And I, I got so, I got triggered by it. Okay. I just thought it was, it was wrong. And it, this was in back in 2008. So it was still fairly, you know, still, still, still fairly recent. Right, right. And I kind of like marched off the set and I was talking to one of the lighting guys and I was so pissed and I was like, is it just me or is this like wrong? And we started talking and we started talking about 9-11. We started talking about like conspiracy and he gave me a list of some documentaries to watch. And I went home and I went on YouTube before YouTube started censoring everything. And I went down the rabbit hole. So I was in my early 20s, just got to Hollywood, just got this big gig and I went down the rabbit hole. And so It was a little, it was interesting because on set, I'm, you know, basically I called it the devil's den. I was basically like in the devil's den working and then going home at night and researching conspiracy theories. And I discovered Alex Jones. And, uh, and so I was like a conspiracy theorist slash stand in actor or whatever. And so it was, I felt internally, like I was always kind of leading this like double life but i will say that my awareness of all things conspiracy were really what protected me and kept me always like an arm's length away from being too involved consumed, in the industry. consumed by the satanism of hollywood yeah i kind yeah. of was always like mm, you know i went to the parties you know katie perry paris hilton they were like all there and you know and and i went to the after party but i kind of always knew like I'm going to leave now. You know, I just had that. I've, I've always had faith. And so I've always been very like spiritually connected and I would, I would pay attention and, and like listen. 
and I always got those those intuitive feelings like okay it's time to leave or but um I digress so back to <clears throat> hope I'm not jumping around too much no, no go ahead but I follow back to, back to you know massage um I started talking to my clients a lot about different conspiracy theories and then that led us into talking about politics and one of my friends who became a client he had just gone to uh, a Trump rally that was in Cal. He, he Trump had come to California very, very early in his campaign back in you know 2015, and I asked my friend, you know, was he is he just doing this for publicity or is he like actually really serious? And he said, no, he's really serious. I love what he had to say. He had great policies. He uh, he's he's completely like committed to this. Not to mention he had already had the inclination to run in the past like a few times so it got me really interested and being a conspiracy theorist I kind of started putting two and two together and I had this aha moment where I was like oh my gosh Donald Trump is the anti-deep state anti-establishment candidate that maybe like we've been waiting for so then I dove like basically headfirst into politics while living in in LA and in I didn't live in Hollywood at this point, but um, I started talking to my clients a lot, and you would be really surprised how many of my clients who were in the entertainment industry who felt the same way and who secretly voted for Donald J. Trump. Right. Many. Right. Many. Many. No, I, I said on my show before because I'm familiar with the with California. Um, there are a lot of Republicans in California, number one, but there are a lot of Donald Trump supporters in, in California a, as well. Um, but continue. I I, I want to know. I want to know a little bit about what's the strange off the top of your head. Well, one. Let, let me let me bring you back here. No, I don't want to do that yet. I want to continue. Continue. I'm interested in where this is headed. Continue. Where how I ended up here. Yes, please. Um, so I, I, because I, I was now working independently for myself, I didn't have to worry about being canceled. I didn't have to worry about not getting an audition or a job or anything. It, it was, it was freaking awesome. So I could say whatever the heck I wanted about my political views, about supporting Donald Trump, about being, you know, now a Republican and living in Hollywood. And I thought it was great. And so I just went full force and I started connecting with different, with other uh, people who who you would probably know now that are big influencers, like for for example, like Anomaly, if you know who he is, he also lives in LA. We connected, and um, Elijah Schaefer, he was in LA, and Fleckus, he was in LA, and so we all started kind of coming together, and we joined a group. It was called Agents Three Five Five, and it was a spawn of Friends of Abe, which was like an underground. Holly, you know, conservative group. I think it was started by Gary Sinise. Uh, but I became involved with this group and we had monthly meetings in Beverly Hills. And that's where I really started getting like serious about wanting to learn about politics and how all of this works. And <clears throat> from there, I started going to events and little MAGA meetups and whatnot and really started building my, my, my little community. And at the same time was doing my massage and I had just opened up my actual own little, little salon space. 
And then COVID happened. Mm. And overnight, I had to shut my business down. <clears throat> I mean, think about it. I'm literally touching people. So my business was ruined, like completely ruined overnight because a lot of people didn't were too scared to get massages uh, for a long time. So I all of a sudden found myself moving out of my house and living back home with my mom. <laughs> and I, you know, uh, and actually I, I do cherish and value that that time. But but yeah, I was basically like, okay, I'm starting over now. What do I do? And I spent during lockdown, I mean, so many of us during lockdown, a lot of people had their, their first awakening during lockdown. Yeah, so course, yeah. I'm go ahead. No, yeah, I said I agree. Yeah. The lockdown yeah. the lockdown sprung a lot of people into Yeah. Um, well, they kind of did themselves a dis a disservice because people were at home like, you know, like researching, watching yeah. out, you know, out of shadows, fog a ball, watching all the, the documentaries. So being the longtime conspiracy theorist and kind of having a leg up on actually I called my mom two weeks before lockdown. And it was through Alex that I was like, okay, something's going to go down in the next couple weeks. So I called my mom and I said, mom, I'm not going to go into detail because I know you don't want to hear about it, all my conspiracies, but there's a big chance that I might have to come home and get out of LA for a little while. And she was like, okay. And then when lockdown was happening, she called me and was like, get your butt home now. So, um, so I spent a lot of time posting, 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 posting. I was posting like a hundred stories a day on my Instagram, just trying to get information out to people. And my follower count was just tick, tick, ticking up. And then I woke up one day to user not found. They took my account, no reason, no warning, no security warning, nothing. So I was so, ugh, I was so mad because that's 10 years of not just political content, but of my life just taken from me. And I was so pissed that I was like, okay, I've always loved photography. I did photography in high school and in college, and I'd wanted to get a new camera for a long time. So I took my COVID money and I bought this laptop that I'm talking to you on. And I bought a DSLR Canon camera and I started traveling to all of like the rallies, like the Stop the Steal rally, um, and it came to DC because I was like, I'm going to document, I'm going to document this. I'm going to have the pictures and nobody's going to be able to take them away from me because you know, they're, yeah. they're real photos. Yeah. So, so from there I ended up creating a website, putting my photos up there and had my website up on getter. And I guess Steve and Maureen were looking for a photographer on the West coast to take photos at a an anti-censorship rally of all things, right? <laughs> uh, anti-censorship rally up at Facebook HQ when, and uh, Naomi Wolf was there, RFK Jr. was there and a bunch of other big people. And <laughs> I, I end up getting this DM in my, <laughs> I end up getting a DM. One of my friends is like, hey, Maureen Bannon's trying to get a hold of you. And I'm like, like Steve Bannon? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I, I go into my hidden, the little hidden messages box. And sure enough, I had a message from Maureen. And she's like, hey, my dad wants to know if you can take photos for us. And I was just like, wow, like, this is crazy. So I flew up, did the job. And then I ended up doing corresponding that day, totally on the fly. Um, I was totally nervous. But I just said to myself, Nicole, 
you have played, I've played a reporter for whatever reason. I always used to get booked as, as a reporter mm-hmm. in LA. So I said, you're just playing the role of a reporter today. Just keep that in your mind. So I did it and it was good. And then that's how the relationship started with, with myself and Steve and Maureen and War Room. And then I did some social media work for them too. And then I started to get really burnt out because politics is politics is a lot. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, for the last for the last like six months, I just kind of dove right back into massage and have been focusing on that. But uh, while I was doing massage about four years ago, I, I hadn't been inspired to write any music in a long time. But around the same time that uh, it was before COVID, but it was after Trump had already been in office. And it was when Notre Dame was burning up in flames in 2019. I was sitting at home and I was just wa- watching it burning. And I had just traveled. I just traveled to France with my mom the summer before. And, and, and you know, saw the cathedral. And so I felt like it was almost an attack like on me, you know, like it felt really personal. And I was sitting there watching just completely like in shock. And this voice said to me, this is the trigger event to the modern day holy war. Mm. And it like hit me and I hadn't felt that like that, that, that spark, you know, when you get that spark of something that just inspires you and you're like, Oh, I got to write that down. So I grabbed a piece of paper, wrote it down I had no strings on my guitar for a couple years and I went, put some on there and just started writing this song. And it took me honestly like a year to write it. It took me a long time because it was just me and my acoustic, nobody else. Um, and I wrote the song and then three years ago, around the same time of the Stop the Steel rally, I went into a recording studio and I went and I recorded it. And mind you, I was paying for this myself. So I was, had a bit of a budget that I was right. limited to. Right. And we got the song done. It sounded great. But as an artist, you know, like you're, you're, you're going to be going to be picky. And there were some things in it that I was like, okay, well, this kick drum doesn't hit perfect. And my voice here. And so even though I was happy with it, it was good enough. It wasn't what it is now. So I sat on it. I sat on it and I sat on it. And I also said to myself, people kept asking, when are you going to release the song? And I just kept saying, it's not time yet. It's not time. It's not time. Things haven't got bad enough. We have to reach a point where people will really be able to receive the song and where people are at like the breaking point where they're looking for something, some kind of hope, something to fire them up, inspire them, and to really see the depth of the depravity that's happening globally. And I was waiting, waiting, waiting. And last year when I was traveling for a photography job with Steve, I I said, Steve, do you want to hear my song? And he's like, sure. So I played it for him. And at the time he's like, oh, wow, that's really good. And he liked it. But it wasn't until just a couple months ago he, he he hit me up and he's like, whatever happened to that song? He had heard a little snippet of it on something that I had sent him because I had it on there. And 
he said, send me that song and send me the lyrics. So I sent them over and right away he's like, the, the war had just broken out between Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had been thinking too, okay, I think it's probably time now. You know, it really couldn't be any more worse things that could be yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so he immediately jumped on it. He immediately, he said, what do we need to do to get this song done and, and over the line? And so I, uh, he connected with me with an amazing Christian producer up in Northern California who, uh, Jeremy Edwardson, and he flew, we, I flew me up there and we reworked some things on the song. I re-sang some parts on it and we just really polished it up to, to the song that it is now. And, um, and then for the video, I had started compiling clips of, I, I had always had this vision of taking the worst things that that have been happening and just you know making a montage of just like everything so that people have no choice when they watch it but to acknowledge that we are in fact in a holy war and it's you know it's modern times we have all this technology we have all these distractions but just because we have all this technology doesn't mean that anything has really changed we're still in in this battle between good and evil so I had all these clips and a friend of mine and I put together like a preliminary video. And then Steve gave all of that to Max Evans, AKA ultra MAGA party who does all of war rooms, amazing videos. Yes. And Max just took the whole vision and basically turned it into like a mini movie. When I watch it, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like I get, I, I get choked up watching it too. And um, yeah, so that's, that's, I guess that's like my journey. And then, and now I'm sitting here. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it, so it, yeah, it's it, been a crazy journey. And yeah. wow. Uh, uh, un- unbelievable. I- incredible story. I mean, it's, it's, it's all, it never, it never ceases to amaze me how certain people um, are called to contribute incredible things at, at a, a moment of need um, from the most, uh, let's say, precarious of, of, uh, beginnings, you know, my, myself included, I feel similarly having come, come from, uh, playing professional sports and uh, being drafted in the NBA. I, you could say I, I chose, I chose the path of the, uh, the rebel early on. So, uh, there was really no, no option for me to, to con- continue on down the rabbit hole. I was saying to somebody the other day, it's, it's, uh, it's not a surprise for me to see so many people in the, in the dark about politics because when I first came on the scene and and was talking about mental health, uh, there were so many people in the dark about mental health, their own mental health, let alone mental health as a political topic. Uh, and, and I know you yeah. talked about massage therapy, massage therapy is, you know, something that I utilize as an athlete, but also from a mental health standpoint. And, um, you know, we sure. just, we just all come from, from very unique backgrounds. I want to ask you about Hollywood a little bit more. We played mm-hmm. the video here in the beginning of the show, uh, so you know everybody's familiar with that, and we'll play it again to to leave the show on on the outro. But I want to ask you a little bit about your time in Hollywood, and and what were some of the strange things that you saw, and what are the what 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 is the the fear? Um, well, what do you see as um, let's say the worst case scenario of where we're headed now? What what is the song cautioning towards in your in your mind, in your imagination of where we're headed, what what does that look like? Is it is it more, you know, because there, there's a holy, 
let's ask, I'll ask it this way. There's a holy war, but there's a couple holy wars going on at once, if that makes sense. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the war there between Israel and Palestine that's broken out is, is a fight that's been going on a very, very long time, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's not new. It's just another chapter. Um, but there obviously is a, a growing tension between uh, the Islamic world and and the Christian world, the West, which, you know, for lack of a better term, is considered the West. But but Christians and Muslims with Jews are our cousins, the Jews kind of being caught in between, you could say. Uh, yeah. So there's that holy war. But but there's also and I noticed in your video speaks to another sort of holy war that's brewing that has more to do with technology itself. And, mm -hmm. and this this um, danger and darkness growing of of oh, the yeah. technocracy and and a surveillance state and things like that. So what is it? What what was that? What is that that vision you have of of how dark things can get if we don't if we don't change course? Well, if I can remember, okay, your first question was what was what did I see like in Hollywood? Yes, what was the what were the strange things you saw in Hollywood? Yeah. So I first started noticing when I started familiarizing myself with the actual like geography of Hollywood was buildings with interesting symbolism on them. Mm. And I started seeing buildings that I now know are Masonic buildings mm -hmm. and even addresses. Like if you know anything about numerology, one of the Masonic buildings, the address is 1122 La Cienega. 11 and 22 in numerology are like, you know, master numbers. I just always got an eerie feeling whenever I would drive by and they looked and, the, and these various buildings look like they're almost deserted, like, like nothing goes on there. And I've, I've also heard a lot about sort of like underground tunnel systems that are in Hollywood. And I've also heard that there are, and, and, and it's been proved that there's actual tunnel systems that go between homes, like the Playboy Mansion. There was a big tunnel that goes under the Playboy Mansion from a few different homes. And I actually did go to the Playboy Mansion a couple times and just always had just, I wouldn't say I necessarily saw anything. You know, maybe if I went back there now, I'm sure my eyes are like, couldn't be any more open now. But back then, it was just like feeling. It was just that kind of eerie feeling almost like you're standing in a dark room and you feel like someone's looking at you you know that kind of mm -hmm. dark feeling um but then there were things that were blatant like there was a bar called bar sinister and you walk in and you literally feel like you're in hell you know everyone has the the look that you know and i mean people can dress how they want i don't i don't want to be judgmental but you know i mean if you're going to decorate yourself in a certain way and a certain energy and vibe, I mean, that's what you're putting out into the world. And so I, I, I it, it was interesting to be an observer in these, in these places. I never felt like I was really a participant. I was just kind of there like a fly on the wall. And, you know, it was like brimstone and fire bar sinister. Like it just, it looked like I was in hell. What yeah. I would imagine yeah. this would look like. Um, so that was interesting. And then, what else? I mean, a lot of things are, are just, there's a lot of rumors about Hollywood, but then I have friends who, like a friend of mine, he's he's no longer with us, but 
he was a good friend and he was a DJ at a place called the Chateau Marmont. And a certain person named Adam Schiff used to come in there all the time when he was DJing. And Adam Schiff always tended to bring in very, very young, very young, young, young people with him to the Chateau Marmont. And there was always a lot of rumors that the Chateau Marmont and the Standard, that there was supposedly some one of those kind of tunnel systems between those two places. And um, it's interesting because the either either someone from the Standard, I think, had passed. I think it was one of the owners of this one of the establishments had passed away in a helicopter accident. There was just there was a lot of those types of things that you would hear and mm-hmm. people just randomly dying. And so Hollywood is one of those places where you don't see it on the surface, but you just there, you just know, you just feel it when you drive into Hollywood. But then on the flip side, there's also a lot of excitement because there's the, the lights and the creative energy and people who have that, that hustle, that hustle energy. And so I always felt like the light in the dark. I always felt like, as long as I stay true to myself, hold my values, don't do things that, you know, I know I shouldn't do, like, I'll be fine. Um, and, and I always felt like God protected me. And like this cross that I'm wearing, my grandmother gave me this and I could probably count on my hand, like the number of times I've taken it off. I, it was really, I felt like this, like protected me a lot in, in Hollywood. So uh, but yeah, just, just more of like a vibe than anything. It wasn't yeah. like I walked in on orgies or anything like that. I'm sure they were happening, but I yeah. was obviously led away from those things. Well, I um, mean, you know, people, people have a, a way of doing things in secret, no better place in Hollywood. I, I think we're at a point now in, in American history where we can, uh, look at the, uh, the evidence that's surfacing about Jeffrey Epstein and other people like that who, who had dealings in circles that are uh, common in Hollywood, let's say, um, mm-hmm. and 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 realize that there is definitely something sinister, no pun intended. There's definitely something sinister happening behind the scenes with with our elites, but common people as well. I can't tell you. I live I live here in Minnesota, <clears throat> and I can't tell you. For the first time in my life, I'm seeing so many people online who identify with uh, Satanism, who who dress uh, in a sort of uh, dark satanic, uh, you know, way, or just outright openly okay. say, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Lucifer, you know, Lucifer is the light bearer. And we all should, you know, we, we got our, we got our uh, Genesis story wrong, or, you know, there's just this, this emergence of, uh, yeah. Of, of Satanism yeah. in, in our society, especially in, in our age demographic and, in, in, you know, the 18 to 20, the 18 to 18 to 30 year olds, let's say 18 to 35 year olds is just this, you know, this, this allegiance to this, you know, this concession to uh, Christianity is bad. And it's weird to see how it happened. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, we had kids that dressed in goth, right? I mean, there was the, the goth era. Mm-hmm. And then I remember punk rock and I remember, you know, the grunge movement. And it, a lot of it was was heavily affiliated with the music business and and the uh, the the artistic expression and, and imagery that came out of the music industry throughout different eras. And it's no wonder, you know, when you look at it, it you could tell me your opinion, opinion on this. 
some of the music that I am increasingly struggling to enjoy some of the music that I grew up enjoying. Uh, when I take a second pass and third pass listen, now that I that I understand what's going on, like um, for example, like even you know like Green Day. Green Day was a cultural phenomenon uh, when when we were growing up. They kind of were the, you know, they were kind of the 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 pinnacle of the punk rock movement at a time. I mean, at least at, at, at least commercially, right? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of punk rock bands, but commercially, Green Day is still huge. I mean, they're probably doing a hundred million dollars at least a year on tour, if not more. Um, but, but, you know, even they, they had a dark vibe to them. But then when you get to bands like, um, let's say, the grunge bands out of Seattle, like Audio Slave, or, or at, at first it was Soundgarden, uh, and, you know, even Nirvana. I mean, people love Nirvana. Kurt Cobain is like a, uh, a mythical figure. About him. I mean, he's like a mythical figure. He's regarded as, a, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Did they make great music? Of course. I mean, it's universally loved, but there's something to be said about how dark it is. And there's also something that's to be said about the, the prevalence of drug abuse and mental health, uh, mental illness, and in worst case, the, the most tragic cases, suicide from from this industry and, and specifically that genre of music. And I don't want to make it a race thing, but there's not a prevalence of, of, of hip hop and rap artists committing suicide. Now they may be involved in some nefarious stuff as well. And they may be on drugs or they may be, they may get in a, a rap beef and two rappers may shoot each other out there in the street, but they're not really, they're not committing suicide with dark. And now you're starting to, and now you're starting to see the Satanism creep into hip hop for the first time. Yeah. I mean, before it was, I mean, you know, but back when it was, yeah, back when it was Ice Cube and NW, look, NWA said, you know, F the police and, and you know, there was merit to it. But then again, it was more of a, a, a you could say there was some some psyop to it. We all know the people behind the music industry took rap music and they they wanted to use it in a, in a certain way. But I don't remember like, you know, LL Cool J and, and, and early on is like Biggie Smalls. And t- I don't remember this prevalence of uh, Satanism. Now you got rappers like Little Nas X and, and a bunch of other ones, and they're just openly dressing up like Satan and demons in their in their rap music. It's it's mind blowing. So you know, musically, um, I want to ask you, what what do you see the future for the American music industry? And like as a part of this alternative economy, as we call it, patriot economy, uh, um, parallel economy. Is a huge part of it the music industry and 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 also the creative arts, the creative uh, you know the the creative profession? Because like for example, when you go to make a website, you can't find anybody who makes websites who's not liberal. I mean, you can you know it's it's very slim. It's very slim pickings. I mean, there are there are people, but it's very very slim. And the same could be said for music. Like when I'm thinking of if I want to do a political ad, who could I go to? that has a prominent top 40, top 100 song over the last four decades that would offer to, uh, or let's say a label that was uh, owned the rights, the publishing rights to a song that was top 40 or top 100 over the last four decades that would offer their song and the rights up for a political ad like they do the Democrats. You can't find anybody. I remember when Bruce Springsteen, uh, you know, sent Donald Trump a cease and desist. Yeah, so you That's, know, we have Lee Greenwood, right? 
So what do you see the the I future? Said, yeah, right, right, right. So what do you see the future <laughs> of the American uh, music industry in terms of of the the nationalist populist movement? And do you hope to be a huge piece of that? Well, obviously, I hope to be a huge piece of that, you know. Um, but <clears throat> I always say only three things can be hidden for so long. The sun, the moon, and the truth. Mm. And the number of people I do see waking up online is just is amazing. I've literally dreamed about people waking up for years. I, I watched all the Alex Jones videos 10, 15 years ago where he's screaming about forced vaccines. And I mean, I, I'm not joking. I would go to bed <clears throat> crying at night because I'm like, nobody knows about this stuff and it's going to be too late. And uh, I don't know. My friends thought I was out of my mind, but not anymore. But um, I feel like pe people definitely are seeing what's going on in the music industry. Like that cannot be denied. And yeah. people are voting with their dollar. And even though the mainstream music industry seems on the surface, like maybe it's still doing really well, maybe it's still great. And of course there are still people that are buying into it. And, you know, I do question just, I do question. Okay. So how, so Justin Bieber has millions and millions of followers on his Instagram. Well, how do we, how do we know that just like how they've been deleting my Instagram followers are those actually all real followers, you know, like, are they inflating their numbers just the same way as they're deflating our numbers? Like what's the real reality of what the people want and what the people are thinking? I'm not sure, but from what I'm seeing, people are waking up and I do feel like people are turning off their TVs. They're changing their stations. And as long as we continue to just focus on, on the goal, which is, rebuilding rebuild that parallel economy rebuild you know build a new hollywood and i mean steve obviously he knows that he's a brilliant man and, and pointing like he's sitting there or something he's not there but um <laughs> but as long as we just keep building keep your eye on the goal i think the people will come the people will follow and people that so so i keep saying that what we're in a battle for is the human ego yeah. humanity has been like like the entertainment industry feeds on the human ego right mm -hmm. look a certain way be popular be famous have paparazzi following you around you know that's like the ultimate american dream or whatever for a lot of people but uh it's truly a battle of the human ego and when i got involved in the the patriot movement what I absolutely attached myself to and loved more than anything was that I was like, oh my gosh, like these are just cool, ge they're genuine people. Now we're all, we're all, none of us are perfect. We'll all have our moments, but, but I noticed the ego that I felt and the energy I felt walking into any, any show in Hollywood or bar or party was this just insane amount of insecurity a vibration of insecurity and ego and like i always felt like an observer again and i, I participated but not really and i see that people are wanting um gen people are wanting ge genuine people and genuine connection and so so i just think if we can focus on that people will naturally like, like moths to a flame, you know, people will be attracted to it. So it's like the saying, you know, if you build it, they will come. Right. So I see 
that Hollywood's going to try and pretend like they've got it all under control and they're going to keep doing the most whack crazy stuff like Sam Smith wearing a freaking big ass balloon costume. I mean, it just people are seeing through the bullshit, if I can say that. You know, it's, and, it's uh, funny you mentioned Sam Smith when we were talking about the artist. He was one of the first that came to my mind. I remember Sam Smith hit the scene and people... Uh, People ignore, you know, he, he was always openly homosexual from from day one, um, which, you know, you could you could see the style of music he sang as a level of blasphemy in of its in an in and of itself. I'm one of those people who is I don't care who you're having sex with. I really don't care how you identify. Don't push it on my kids. Don't make me don't don't make me don't force me to 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 get lost in, in the in your identity. It's it, like you said, ego and and. Um, ego and uh you know this this it's a narcissism right i mean that's what the real the real root of it is yes. um but sam yes. you know sam sam sang uh a style of music that could only really be uh described as gospel right i mean his first song stay with me it makes me so sad yeah, and that's what yeah. happens is you see these people break out in hollywood and you see their true artistry, you see their true genuine image, and you're like, oh my gosh, this person's amazing. You know, he 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 dressed sharp, he had his hair cut nice, he was in better shape, he looked happy, he, you know, and his his music was great. And then they just Hollywood gets a hold of them. And I I think it's demonic possession. Like I think it's it's a spirit that gets attached to you. And I really do believe that you in a way, when you sign those contracts, and I've heard different weird things about signing contracts and stuff, that you literally are signing away to like the devil. We've heard it in, and what Bruce Springsteen didn't he say it in an interview once? And then Katy Perry has the famous interview. I don't know if you saw, but where she said, "I wanted to be a Christian singer like Amy Grant, but it didn't work out, so I sold my so instead I sold my soul to the devil." Mm. And when she said that she looks down at the floor and 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 I remember seeing that I actually I knew Katie I didn't like I wasn't friends with her but we had the same group of friends in LA when I moved there and her best friend and I have the same birthday so we hung out on our birthday danced on tabletops took too many shots uh, which are lyrics in one of her songs and um, and I okay. saw her rise and I saw what I call her fall and her fall was was her basically coming out admitting like I sold out. I sold my soul. I wanted to be she has Jesus tattooed on her wrist and I have truth. And to me, Jesus is the truth and 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 going out into the world and speaking your truth and and you know, not being a a, a liar and a deceiver um is you know is important. But she it makes me sad. It makes me sad. What what was I, I, was was Katie's was Katie's turn? I remember I remember Katie popped on the scene, and we're having fun with this. I, I'm first of all in full transparency. I I love the song, but one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you and I told Steve is, um, I am one of the the biggest proponents that in order for us to make real headway in this movement in the minds and hearts of the American people, we have to place an emphasis on music and entertainment. Uh, culture. Yeah, culture. Yeah. yeah, and the music is such a it's so heavy on the culture. It's almost you, you almost can't escape it. I mean, not only just from a leisure standpoint, but everything it's that we can consume. 
Yeah, everything we can we consume now is 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 gripped with with the music industry in in many ways, and um, you know, so we 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 have to we have to find a way to understand what happened with the music business, and then also understand how to recreate and separate uh, a new sort of of American music industry from it. But I remember Carrie, Katy Perry, for example, when she popped on the scene, she was just this. You know, in my in my circles, like in my music circles here in Minnesota, for example, we place a real emphasis on people who play live music, who write their music, who who play instruments. Right? This is the mm-hmm. land of of Prince and and the Minnesota sound. And she, all she's the, talented. All these people, yeah, write and play their own music, and and so there's a, there's music, and then there's underground music. So you got that kind of schism between people who look at what Katie was commercially as like, oh, that's pop, right? And she was, she was kind of this teeny bop pop sort of sensation. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden it was, and ironically, it was right around the time that that she came out with the song uh, E.T., which was an incredible song and Kanye West featured featured on it. Uh, and and it, it was about more about extraterrestrial than it was Satanism. But I mean, you could argue if so facto. You can see the symbolism in that video. You can see For the sure. symbolism That's in that video. Too of made me go what like yeah oh yeah that's funny you say that because i remember the first time i ever watched that video i was like it had the the weird ai vibe and and i had already started learning about the transhumanist agenda around that same time and i was like good job katie like you're doing such a great job pushing all the agenda and you you start to realize that so they pull these artists in who are truly talented who basically would be like where I'm at right now, right? They would come to me, Nicole, you're great, you know, come over here, we offer offer you the world. And I'm so blessed and grateful that things did not happen for me back then because I probably would have gotten sucked into that. Yeah. And I just, everything happens for a reason. And I'm just like, okay, so I'm a little older, which I say, here I am a little older, but a little wiser and a whole lot older. And I've got something to say is that I may be a little older now, but it's so worth not selling your soul and not having yourself be completely bought, sold out, transformed, converted, and then just becoming a puppet. Because I look at Katie and I'm just like, she's trapped. Yeah, She is trapped. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, and I want to ask you that. Do you think from, from, a, from a music standpoint, from an artist standpoint, I look at a lot of these artists now and and I and I start to feel bad for them because I view it as them crying out for help through their through their music. Right? Like e- even though we view it as the music overlords, right? The the purveyors of the the entertainment industry and big tech which has now become one merger, which is what I kind of was alluding to with Katy Perry, you go ET, transhumanism, satanism, it's all kind of in one one mm-hmm. uh you know one succinct kind of kind of crew um but as far as the artists go do you think that that you know we view it a lot of people view it as oh they are perverting our children or they're a bad influence or they're a satanic or demonic influence i kind of view especially from knowing artists personally i kind of view them as crying out for help what do you I think mean, it depends it depends on the song i guess mm-hmm. you know but that's mm-hmm. interesting you say that and and since you say that, I next time I hear something, I'll be more conscious and try to listen to it through that lens because that is an interesting way way to view it. Now, I do know that, like Katie, 
Katie is a talented writer and she, you know, she co-wrote all of her songs Mm -hmm. and she started writing just with her guitar, just like I wrote this song. Um, but, but then, you know, you become beholden to a team of writers and they, it, it, you're a product at that point and, and you come in with your ideas, but then they come in they bring the team in and they write. And I don't know what it's like being with a big label because I've never been with a big label. Thank goodness. Um, but I don't know what kind of note, like they get notes, right? They're going to be getting notes from the higher ups and then the people above them and so on and so forth of go in this direction. And, you know, Steve's guiding me kind of like that now. Um, but I trust his opinions way more. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows what they're being directed specifically? Talk about this. Don't talk about that. And it's these higher ups who are faceless, nameless, that the public will probably never know about that are tied into the deep occult, that are tied into the witch, witchcraft, that know that Satan was cast down from heaven, right? He was the angel, in, you know, the director of music in heaven, cast down into hell. And so when I learned that, like, I, or when I remembered that, probably about 15 years ago when I was making music, I remembered that. And I was like, I was so, when I was starting to see the the Satanism and I was starting to like figure it out, I was like, oh my gosh, it makes sense because Satan, you know, was, was, was in charge of music in heaven. So of course he would rule the music industry. Mm. It just makes sense, you know, and I don't want to use the Illuminati word, but I mean, it's a thing. And, uh, you know, they have isn't, a very it, specific- isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy? We can't even use the word. I mean, I just. It blows my mind. I posted a, a picture the other day, and I was on my Wikipedia, and never, never ceases to amaze me what Wikipedia writes. But I scrolled down to my political career, and there, you know, it says, you know, led protests uh, after the George Floyd situation, uh, called for the freedom of the Uyghurs, and basically says it's tied up with conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones and Steve Bannon, and claims that the 2020 election is a hoax. And you know, just this is it. this is just, just you know, this is what they said, but. My point being, and then they then they go on to say, the federal Res- you know makes the claim that the Federal Reserve is this corrupt institution that you know globalist power, globalism is a dog whistle for anti-Semitism. The whole thing is is a uh, is uh, a way to try and divert attention away from the reality of the situation in America and around the world. But my point is, isn't it strange that we we can't even say the word Illuminati? I mean, it, and I know people don't want to go there, but it's it's for me, it's just like. Number one, there's a well-documented existence of the secret society called the Illuminati. Number one, yeah. a very, a very well, I mean, as far as secret societies go, there's a very well-documented history of the Illuminati. It's not even, yeah. I mean, it's not shoddy. Right. It's not like piecemeal. It's like very, very succinct history of the Illuminati. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Freemasons, uh, the Catholic Church just this year still deemed Freemasonry as a, a sin against the church, as blasphemy. Uh, which was good to see because the way the Catholic Church has been headed, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they woke up one morning and went, hey, you could be a Freemason and a Catholic. They're still holding <laughs> that line, at least. So that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, even I mean, even secret societies in general, right? Um, skull and bones, uh, you from, know. Go ahead. I was just going to say, from what I've researched, is that in terms of like Freemasonry, yeah, at the end of the day, I have no idea. I don't know. But from things I've researched is that there's, and from what I've also been told by people deep in the industry, is that there's 
you know, the Freemasonry and there's factions of it that are, you know, they, they say that the, the knowledge that the Freemasons know and carry and pass on is just, it's knowledge. A lot of it's science. It's just knowledge. But it's the knowledge that can be either used for good or for evil. And that there's factions within that are either like using or either yes, good yes, or, but wait, or wait, bad. wait, 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 wait. This whole thing. Wait, I got, I got to, I got to, I got to nip this whole thing in the in the bud right here. Okay, good. This whole thing, this is the whole scam here, right? And and see, people have trouble, not you, but I'm saying people in general, widely, have trouble diagnosing the the root problem of of our society's decay right now in America. And it it does stem all the way back to uh secularism as an idea and and the scientific method. And and the scientific method was this this full embrace of on paper. I mean, these people who were early scientific uh, revolutionaries, uh, Descartes, and they were involved in these secret societies that could be easily described as occultists. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 but, and, and they were an open rejection of the church. And I'm not saying the church wasn't corrupt. In fact, you can make an argument that the church was involved with some of this heresy. That's what many people make the claim regarding the Catholic church. And there, there's some merit to that. But my, my point is that um, this whole, uh, the, they just have knowledge. It's just a little knowledge. No, no, no. The whole point is knowledge. Knowledge without wisdom and without sacred honor and without fear of God was the original sin. And so I actually saw a Satanist make this claim on a video I recently posted on Twitter where she goes, no, no, you have Genesis wrong. Uh, Lucifer wanted to give Adam and Eve the knowledge, and God wanted to covet it for himself. And so that's totally legitimate that Lucifer wanted to give mankind knowledge. And the knowledge, the 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 infatuation or obsession with knowledge has, from the very beginning of Genesis, from, from human existence, from original fall, was, was an attempt for Satan to consume man with his own ego with his own thinking of, I can acquire knowledge so great that I can supplant God. That's what they're trying to do. So when the Masons, at uh, even the lowest entry level, go, oh, well, you know, we're just passing along a little knowledge. No, what they're really trying to do is say that the knowledge is, the, is, is a gateway to where we are going to overcome God, we're going to overcome our our uh, our meekly existence of of just being a creature, a created uh, a creation of the Most High. So yeah, at the lowest level, you know they can you know they can they can mask it like it's just you know you know lost common sense and science. The whole scientific method, I mean, the whole science thing is based on trying to supplant God. They can say, oh well, you know. You know, what if the the sun rips open and there's a hole and solar flares start to kill people? Or you know, the, what about black holes? Or what about asteroids? You know, they can say it's about that all they want to, and yeah, there are asteroids. I mean, yeah, and there are black holes and shit could go haywire out there. I'm not saying it couldn't. I just don't believe that's what these people's real motive is. And when you go yeah. when you go read Cosmopolitan, and and it's you power. yes, and even power. more so, it's like it's like the corruption of souls. You know, you talk about a holy war. It's like they're just using that as a mask. When you go uh, to Cosmopolitan, and and they have a an article, a feature about satanic abortion rituals, 
And you guys mean to tell me that the yeah, yeah, right? Just out in the open. It's I mean, it's on Cosmopolitan's Instagram over the last couple of weeks. Here's what a satanic abortion ritual is. Here's what it what what happens. And you know, you guys aren't doing this for the climate. Give me a break. You, you st- and I'm not. I'm, I'm getting insulted that you're using humanity and the safety and preservation of humanity to to smuggle this agenda in. And how stupid are the people who believe it? Like, oh, we're just trying to we're just trying to cure cancer. What? There's no cure for cancer that that needs to emphasize Satan. I mean, come on. If you want to cure cancer, just cure it. What what's what's with all the 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 satanic regalia? I don't even the masons and and all the symbolism. If you're just passing you know, knowledge, it's, it's truth in plain sight. It's completely right, truth hidden right. in plain sight, and that's what. I started, I mean, it was, it really was the trippiest thing ever to be like watching Alex Jones all the time and then getting up and then going to a set and then standing on my tape mark and then looking around and just noticing things on the walls, like, like, you know, posters on the walls and things that were blatantly like, I was like, whoa, you know, but the thing is, it's like, do I really think that all these people that were on these sets, do I think they were all Satanists? Like at that time, definitely not. Maybe now I'm not sure, but it's a energy it's a creative energy and it's a vibe that that you're either tuned into and you're on that frequency or you're tuned in on god's frequency and these people you know that they were creating from that space and i just i definitely noticed it in hollywood i I couldn't un i couldn't unsee it and i i had this moment on sarah silverman program one day where i was the last person on the sound stage and we were closing like those big elephant doors and I turned around and I looked and everything was dark. And I said to myself, there's no life here. The food in the refrigerators are fake. The telephone cords aren't plugged into any wall. Uh, the pictures in the picture frames are all fake. There's, you know, they're not, they're not real. And, and I just, that's when I had that moment where I was like, wow, what comes into this space is the energy that we bring into this space. And that's when I realized that that really Satan has his hands in Hollywood because most of the sets I've been, most of the sets I had been on had that vibe. I worked on a lot of like CSI, a lot of murder shows and things like that. And, uh, and it just was undeniable that, that that's what's going on. Well, and you know, I, I wanted to ask you about Sarah. I said, I, I know her well, I don't know her really well. I'm, I'm not personal knower, but um, she follows me on Twitter. She she probably will stop following me soon now that I said that. But she 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 follows me and and she originally started following me after I called for the freedom of the Uyghurs. Um, I actually uh, I think I sent out like a mass a mass um, direct message with a, a tweet of mine that went viral calling for the freedom of the Uyghurs. And she ended up in the list somehow. I don't know how that happens where it's just like random people who you don't, because I don't follow anybody on Twitter. I never really have. But random people just pop up in your suggestions to to forward things to. Uh, maybe maybe that's how the algorithm works. But anyway, so, you know, she she loved or, you know, uh, liked the, the message. And then she was following me. And it's just a weird thing. Like Sarah, you know, she strikes me as somebody who, is very unconventional in the sense that um, what what made her popular, what made her successful as a stand-up comedian was her willingness to cut against the grain of what's considered kosher or um, politically correct, right? Uh, at, at, from a 
from a comedian standpoint in general, but certainly from a female comedian, right? I mean, she was kind of this vulgar, mm-hmm. gritty, you know, willing to just say it like it is comedian. So mm-hmm. you know, wh- whether or not you believe that profanity and Christianity are incompatible or whatever, I see people like Sarah Silverman as somebody who would, under normal circumstances, be uh, supportive of Donald Trump's sort of brash, no-nonsense kind of, of way of going about it. She seems like somebody who, at one, at, at, mark my words, one day she's going to come around and, and be like, it, she, she's going to be a person who gets... I have hope. Gets, she's going to... I guarantee... I, I can almost guarantee it. She's going to be a person... She's, she's smart. Well, she, not only is she smart, she's too rebellious, naturally rebellious to allow some of the nonsense mm-hmm. to, to go on and her not say something about it, right? So she's going to be one of the people who becomes victim to the wokeism where they try and cancel her for something she says or doesn't say, or it's going to be one of these trans issues that becomes, you know, too personal for her and she'll jump off the, off the bandwagon. But just, yeah, just, just in general though, I, I, I want to, she seems like somebody who's completely captured by the, by the, uh, by the ideology or by the, the political, uh, you know, the, the, the political uh, brainwashing of of the left and the liberal uh, platform. What, what was your experience like with Sarah? Was she was she somebody who struck you as uh, as a raging liberal even then, or is it something that just kind of took hold? I mean, I hadn't politically woken up at that time. In fact, I was working for a music publishing company, and I was a personal assistant. Uh, not that long after, I was working for Sarah, and my boss was like this Obama guy, you know, he's going to change everything. And have you ever voted? Okay, you need to vote. And yeah, I mean, she really pressured me my, to, to my, my boss of, of music pressured me to go and vote. And so I went and I vote, I, I registered Democrat. I went and I voted. I didn't know what I was doing. But, um, but back to Sarah, I, I didn't know anything about politics yet. But looking back just on her in general, um, she was always she was always very nice. Uh, she was obviously funny on set, uh, respectful, and just you know nothing politically was happening back then. Mm. So you know, getting on a set now, I'm sure is just a completely, totally different experience than it was back then. But I will say, there were some things about the show that I didn't that I didn't particularly care for, like. There's some things, there's some episodes that include basically her driving a van with little kids around that she kidnaps. And one of the little kids says, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And she says something like pee in my mouth or something. I I don't quote me on that, but there were some things that were very crass and things that involved kids and sort of, to me now looking back, have a little bit of the pedophilia vibe to it. Mm. And someone who was an actor on the show, I forget which one, I forget his name, I can picture his face, but he got in trouble for some pedophilia type stuff. Wow. So wow. so when I saw that and learned that uh, years later, and I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like whether or not there was anything deeper happening, just the fact that that is even considered okay to be a skit on the show is so wrong. And the fact that no one is calling that out. I mean, I actually did see someone calling that out like on Instagram, but just, you know, just a Patriot, but 
Yeah, I just, I, there's some things that I look back that I, I would love to ask Sarah myself, Sarah, if you're watching, let's chat. Um, but you know, generally speaking, she was, she was very nice, but her humor kind of bothered me sometimes because it was just like potty humor and whatever, but overall she was nice to me. My experience was great. So you know, overall, I don't really have anything to say other than just my own observations of things that kind of went against like my own personal morals and values. Right. The the, the pedophilia piece and, and, you know, we we can wrap up, but I got time here. You the, the, the pedophilia piece is such an another incredible part of the denial from the mainstream media, but also your average American citizen. I mean, and I understand it. I, I get when you uh, when you think about uh, people who are so evil and so corrupt and and so uh, you know kind of downright rotten and wicked that they would target children. Not only target them, but on mass in a sort of uh, sex traffic type of operation, like Epstein was involved with. That people just want to stick their head in the sand. They go, I don't, I don't even want to go there. Um, but mm-hmm. yet we see a, a number of children go missing every year. It's it's so strange to me. I mean, this is the, the Democrats, they talk about human trafficking or sex trafficking or anything when it comes to immigrants, illegal immigrants, or, or the border or the, the, the whole. Di- but we have that problem going on right here in our own country with yeah. American citizens. Not only uh, from people from abroad who get shipped all over, but but right here in America. And and people are very unwilling to even discuss Epstein or the pedophilia thing. I, I, I uh, That seems like a significant node of this holy war is the predation on children and uh, in a sort of sexually perverse way. Uh, and, and I guess Hollywood is is probably uh, high up on the list for, for that sort of issue. N- numero uno, right? Yeah, look at Drew Barrymore. You know, look at all the young Hollywood actors and actresses who were children when they became big. I mean, there's those photos of of Drew Barrymore, you know, drinking and smoking when I think she was like nine years old or something Mm. like in a club or a bar. And and now, mind you, I never saw any children like straight up partying, but you do see very, very, very young and very young, mostly boys. It, around Hollywood and around these like executive looking guys and you you it's very questionable and it, it, it's almost like I wish I could like travel back in time and take everything I've seen and everything I know now and go back and be an observer because I just know that I would see so much more now but back then you know my eyes weren't so open so um I mean, Epstein is literally just barely the tip of the spear. And it, it was it was in 2016 that I went down the trafficking rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And when I finally went down that the hard one I ever went down, a lot of tears, a lot of sleepless nights, just, I mean, like, I'm sure people that are watching this can agree with me that once you finally go do do go down that hole, it, it, it will change you forever to really understand and realize that there are people that can do like that, that have the capability to do the most 
heinous, insane things you could ever think about to to children. And but but what that also did was it really woke me up to Satanism because I firmly believe that the only way people can do those things is by complete basic possession Mm. is by demonic, demonic spiritual possession, Mm. because I don't think any sane human in their right mind, even if you're a bad person, evil, kind of any, you know, bad person, kind of maybe a little evil. I don't know if there's such things a little evil, but, um, the things that I've seen and heard, you, you would have to have a demonic spirit inhabiting you and, and obviously having mental health issues. So, um, you know, it might be a little much for some people who aren't ready yet to go down that rabbit hole, but it's a hole that I think everybody well, it's, needs it's, to go down. Because it, it, it make things make more sense. And I think I think if people could understand that Donald Trump, even if you hate him so much and and you don't like this, you don't like that, but if you can come to grips with the fact that he is the only person in you know in the in the political realm to the level that he's been at who has come out and talked about human trafficking mm. that alone right there should be enough to just to want to vote for him even if you hate the way he talks if you hate this hate that whatever the fact that we are just we're it's simple we're in a spiritual battle between good and evil the most evil things are happening on the planet happening to children which when you mess up children you are messing up their you're ruining their 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 brain their entire lives you're you're yeah. you're you know a lot of people rehab you hear these stories of people that rehab but are they ever never the same really never the same able to be the same you know yeah. and and you're taking their innocence away and so if people can just realize that Donald Trump is that guy who's advocating for kids and that's why you should vote for him then yeah well, and and on top, you know, again, it's it's wild for me to see these people like Silverman. I would assume if if you went and dug deep enough, you'd find uh, uh, traces of her being in support of the Times Up movement or this sort of neo feminist uh, women's rights kind of initiative. Yeah. The, the the Me Too, <laughs> for sure. yeah, the whole Me Too, you know, deal. And uh, it, it's so wild to me that the Me Too movement would reach the pinnacle of the Democrat platform. But child pedophilia that often involves the abuse and sexual exploitation or, or uh, you know, uh, trafficking, sex, sex trafficking of, of young girls is, is hidden. It's, it's covered up. I mean, it's, it's one of the most blatant contradictions of our entire American political cultures. You know, we're, we, 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 we're taking a, adult uh, American women and we're making them the, the center of the political focus, but we're going to overlook the children who are sexually abused and trafficked and this is mind-blowing so um parting shots we're going to have you back on soon we're going to play the video to, to leave here um party shots where we can find you on social media uh where we can we can listen to the music where we can watch the video parting let us let us let the people know where they can find you um before you go uh, well, first off, my website, ladynograty.com. You can listen to the song. You can even buy it from there. But then there's there's also the Apple iTunes link if that's easier for your phone to go to Apple. And then the video is also on there as well. And a little bit of about me. I, I need to work on the website a little bit, but you can find everything there. And then I am on Getter at Nicole Nograty. I am on X 
<laughs> um, they took my other account, but it's uh, at Nicole underscore no Grady. And then also on truth at Nicole no Grady. So all my links are on my website as well. So you sh- that's kind of a one-stop shop. So ladynograady.com. Nicole, we appreciate your time today. We love the song. We thank you for sharing your story and, and your insights on some of these things. We're going to have you back on because I hear that you have some, some, some more um, insightful opinions about some, some even deeper rabbit holes. And we love the rabbit holes here on Please Call Me Crazy. <laughs> I don't care what anybody else says. You're sitting in the rabbit hole right now, yes. this dark rabbit hole. Yes, yes, I am. My show is the rabbit hole show. But, you know, again, some of these rabbit holes are now getting exposed and a lot of light are getting shined down the deep, dark hole as well. So uh, we invite people to come on the show and and, and at least have the the, the freedom to think openly about the possibility that we've we've been lied to and what the implications really are. I don't I don't see any harm in that. Um, So we're going to have you back on the show when we can shoot me a time when you when you're free. And uh, thank you for making that incredible song. Us Christian nationalists really appreciate anybody out there willing to to dedicate some time to, you know, to throw us a bone in this in this new crazy world where all the Christians are are persecuted more so than anybody else. So we we thank you very much and uh, we appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you and everything that you do. Thank you. Godspeed to you. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Lady No Grady with her latest song about the holy war taking place in this country. Please go download the song when you can. If you can, go watch the song on YouTube or wherever else that you can find it. Go to ladynograady.com and find all the places where you can listen to the song, watch the song, like it, subscribe, leave a comment. You know how the whole the whole deal goes. Please show your support for Nicole. Um, we had an incredible time, an incredible conversation. We talked about some things that make people uncomfortable, and that's exactly what we want to do here on Please Call Me Crazy. Uh, there's nothing more crazy or out of the realm of uh, what people would call conventional wisdom of, of America's political culture and America's culture at large than what takes place in California and in Hollywood. If you need any more evidence of that, you can look at the number of artists the number of musical talents that have have hit the scene, become very popular, and then uh, throughout their time in the music business uh, have made a, a dark turn towards uh, satanic symbolism uh, and and uh, imagery. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. You know, we mentioned a few during the show, uh, Sam Smith, and Katy Perry, and Little Nas X, but, but also Lady Gaga, for example. I mean, there's, the, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and, and we can't avoid it. We can't, we can't continue to uh, dance around, for lack of a better phrase, the, the prevalence of Satanism that's creeping up in our country. And it... it the timing of it, uh, a time where uh, our political elites, uh, the elites from the academic world, uh, the intelligentsia, uh, the security state, all seem to have a, a very vested interest, a hard-on, so to speak, for Christians uh, at a time when the term Christo-fascist has become more popular to use than ever. 
As a Christian myself, I find it offensive. It's insulting. It's insulting that uh, the rich history and tradition of, of, of Christianity and, and the Abrahamic faith and, and everything that, that was built and preserved and, and given and done um, to humanity through this, this oral and written tradition um, is, is now being attacked right out in the open, especially in a country that was founded on these ideals. And we can go back in history and we can have this argument about whether the founding fathers were Christians or whether they were deists or, you know, there's always these little in vogue terms to try and to try and, you know, um, confuse the reality of what 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 took place or what's taking place. But but the reality is only four of our founding fathers were deists as they identify uh, the rest of them were overwhelmingly Protestants, and and there were a few Catholics and a few Jews as well. Um, so th- that's a that's a gross mistelling of the history to begin with. Uh, that that all our founding fathers were deists. There were not just four founding fathers that are propped up in in our history, uh, but but there were hundreds of of founding fathers. There were hundreds of people who contributed to the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and the United States Constitution and, and so on and so forth. So uh, the vast majority of them were, as many of the early European settlers were, Christian. Uh, and so, you know, the, whether you want to acknowledge it, accept it or not, uh, the inception of this country, good and bad, uh, comes from, from people who were Christian. And I just say to all these people, you know, it's funny to me to watch some within the black community or the white community or whatever community you, you want to call it, any community, start to uh, reject and, and even condemn Christianity writ large uh, as a proxy to condemn this country writ large. And I just ask people, where do they think they're going? And I ask you out there, where, where, where are you going? Where are you headed? Not only, not, let's, let's leave the spiritual out. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's between you and, and, and the man upstairs. Um, but where are you going physically right now? If America burns, if America is consumed in this holy war, if America's identity is lost in this you know, self-loathing, self-hating uh, edifice of, of, of woke politics where Christianity is seen as the great evil and, and we're going to start openly uh, um, honoring, enshrining, uh, uh, you know, uh, worshiping Lucifer and, and some perverted twist of, of, of Genesis where Lucifer is really the, the knowledge, the knowledge giving uh, a deity who is is trying to save humanity or give humanity something under a tyrannical god. If if we're going to do that, um, where are you headed to do it? I mean, because even if you even if you think you're going to stay right here in America at the end of this holy war, are you even prepared? Are you even prepared to 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 live through an apocalypse? And here, here's the scary part for all of you out there who may be on the fence who. Who, who have this sort of laissez-faire apathy, who are apathetic about the prospect of, of such a time, this, this post-apocalyptic Armageddon sort of chaos and, and anarchy that is, that is now so aptly uh, uh, symbolized in, in Hollywood feature films and, and productions like 
the purge, for example. You know, every 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 Tom, Dick, and Harry, every Jane, uh, J- Jane, Jill, and I don't even have another uh, another uh, you know fake name. Uh, what is you know standard uh, name for you? But but any anybody any any somebody anywhere uh, who is I don't know fifteen to twenty eight maybe even 30, pushing 30, has a hard-on for this, this fantasy about anarchy and, and you know, wearing the masks. And, and look, I'm not saying that, look, I'm not saying that revolt is off the table or isn't a necessary, a necessary thing. You know, there are times when people are called to revolt. But when you make it theater, the way we've sort of made it theater, doesn't doesn't pack the same punch doesn't mean the same thing in fact i don't even i'm not even going to say there's not a time for theater i'm not going to say there's not a time for entertainment definitely there's a time for entertainment definitely there's a time for theater but when you make it so theatrical and it has very little substance it has no chance of being anything meaningful and that's what we've done we've allowed the left We've allowed the Marxists, we've allowed the communists, more, maybe more so than anything else, to create this false sense of, of revolution. Now, I'll give you a prime example. And you know, I usually don't do this after family, friends, and guest episodes, but I want to I wanna kind of try to illustrate uh, just how perverted this, this whole ideology and, and philosophical, political thinking has gotten. When I led these uh, protests after George Floyd, and I tried to emphasize to people the importance of, of economic sovereignty and, and the understanding of, of finance and, and how economics work in the country through an institution like the Federal Reserve. I led these protests, and one of the places we were is out on the 35W Bridge. And um, a semi-truck rolled onto the bridge that day. And I remember there being, you know, just complete and utter chaos. People were afraid as they were right to be. The 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 truck, the semi truck could have easily killed hundreds of people, if not more. Um fortunately nobody was hurt that day. And I, I gotta thank God that that nobody was hurt because it was nothing short of a miracle in, in my opinion. Um However, if if the man who drove the truck onto the bridge that day wanted to kill people, he certainly could have very easily. So that makes me think in retrospect that uh, either he really didn't want to harm people or potentially he was uh, he was compelled at the very last moment to to uh, to to not do so, to not hurt people. Point is, uh, not even really about the truck driver or the chaos that ensued that day. The point that I want to make is about the sentiment that I heard after the fact, and and this is what really kind of uh, sounded the alarm in my own head that something was deeply, deeply wrong with the overall political worldview in my community, because uh, not not. Not long after, uh, as the energy of George Floyd began to die down and, and people, you know, went from it's very cool to go out and be seen taking a picture of myself in my little skimpy, skanky outfit 
uh, supporting George Floyd for whatever social media um, capital it's worth, uh, people began to look for other things to be upset with, right? And part of it was aimed at at me, and it was aimed at the the other black men who helped organize and lead these peaceful protests at that time. And and one of the number one complaints that I heard was, one of the number one criticisms was that this march we led onto the 35W bridge put people in danger. And it hit me. I mean, it, it hit me then that people in this country uh, under the leadership of the left and the Marxists and the communists who have all but, but um, uh, sensationalized uh, made made revolution a, an, an abstract idea, some some type of performative art uh, ideology. Um, people really believe that there will be a revolution without putting themselves in harm's way, which is so strange to me. I mean, when you think of Martin Luther King or all of these other civil rights activists that they hold up in high regard when they want a race bait to the black community or anybody else who has any real emotional attachment to the history of racism in America, when they hold these people up, uh, they're holding up figures who were willing to put themselves directly in harm's way for the things they believe in. But they did it with a level of integrity. I mean, even if you don't agree with Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement as a whole, you have to you have to acknowledge that they did it with a level of integrity. Even the Nation of Islam. I mean, the Nation of Islam had their day. The American media has done done well to try and uh, suppress, minimize the impact of the Nation of Islam at the time of the Civil Rights Act because, well, I mean, they were a little more radical than than the than the conventional civil rights leaders, but. Yet and still, both groups, I mean, whether it was Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and A. A. Philip Randolph and people like that, or, you know, even if it was, uh, you know, the Nation of Islam and Malcolm and, and Elijah and, and Minister Louis Farrakhan or Stokely Carmichael and, and some, I mean, no matter who you looked at, none of these people carried themselves in this sort of uh, no rules, anything goes, purge kind of, of, of revolution. That 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 type of rebellion although potentially calling out very real critical issues with the system the culture the politics of America is not coming from a place of genuine goodwill for the people and that's something we have to sort out now. We have to sort it out as the black community. We have to sort it out as people all across this country, regardless of political affiliation. But we also have to sort it out in the conservative movement because we face a similar problem in the conservative movement or on the right wing of the American political spectrum. When you see in Wisconsin at, at, at Madison and Wisconsin University, a group of, of uh, individuals dressed as neo-Nazis uh, on the campus, first of all, the the thing I think right away is feds. These people are feds because who does that? Nobody, really. And if they're not, well, are they feds or are they not? We don't know. 
But that's the first thing I think. But the next thing I think is why is the why is it always it's it's always the extremes that want to protest. What what happened to the anti-war movement in the 60s where your average everyday citizen who paid their taxes, who was concerned about the future well-being uh, of the nation and and the value of their citizenship and the moral the moral implications of their tax money and and their identity as an American citizen being tied up in something that was unethical when those people hit the streets with a with a homemade sign from the 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 local uh you know the the local uh, goods store arts and crafts store or whatever it was those people hit the front lines just to say no to war what what happened to that how did we come to a place where everybody's either in the house in the in their home talking about politics talking about war talking online on social media about whatever it is um and and the only people who hit the streets are the extremes are at the extremes and i'm seeing it you know i'm seeing these these car gangs pop out in the middle of the night and and you know Hey, if you want to have a car club or a motor club, more power to you. Your motorcycle club, more power to you. Freedom of movement. Certainly, we don't want to speak, you know, speak against the freedom of movement. And that goes for individuals as well. We're seeing an attempt at from, from people to self-govern. And I understand that we here at Free People Radio and for my political campaign and for Free People of America and anything I'm involved in with politics emphasize Self-governance, that's what we're striving for, self-governance. But as I always say, you can't have self-governance without sacred honor and faith. They just don't work. You can't have freedom without self-governance, but you can't have self-governance without sacred honor and faith. And a lot of what we're seeing pop up right now um, in in terms of rebelling against the establishment is... um, it's 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 in vain. It it doesn't have that 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 level of sacred honor and faith necessary to to make it substantive or to make it long lasting. And I think the, the latter is even more important. You know. Okay, so you go and knock over a Macy's. What have you really changed? Nothing. Let's just be real. Let's say you take an entire city like Portland. After the George Floyd thing, Portland was basically occupied by leftists. Or what about when it happened there in Paris? I think it was Paris where where it happened recently, where uh, they they had a, an uprising because the the young man was, I think he was shot in the head, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there in Paris, and it had something to do with the with the Muslims, and and they had you know all but taken to the streets all across Paris, people of all of all. Uh, People of all shapes and sizes, people of all creeds, uh, had had, you know, basically started to rebel against the the government there in in Paris and in, in France. But to what end? What has it changed? What has changed there in Paris? What has changed there in Portland? What has changed anywhere? Any any time the rebellion is not genuine. You know, to rebel for the sake of rebel is like, you know, it's 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 like to, uh, I don't know, it's 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 like to, to scream for the sake of screaming. I mean, at a point, it's just annoying. 
It's corny. It's obnoxious. And there is a level of rebellion and revolt in this country. There is a form of rebellion and, and, and revolt in this country that's just obnoxious. And we can never mistake the obnoxious for the substantive. Because substance is never obnoxious. It just it, it, it rarely is substance obnoxious. When you see these radical leftists or feminists, you know, uh, come to uh, I don't I don't know the middle of their their college campus or or the town hall or, or wherever and just scream at the top of their lungs, you know, to to annoy people. Basically, is it, it can never be uh, it can never be mistaken for substance. I even have a little more respect for the people who are at least, you know, willing to sit in, to sit in the middle of the road for the climate thing, although I think it's the biggest psyop in maybe in American history, the, these climate uh, activists. I mean, I think they've been psyop to, to no end. But I at, least, I at least respect them being willing to sit there in silence and lay on the ground and say, hey, listen, we're, we're, ju- we're just committed. And all of us on the right better get very serious about what it means for us to be committed. And part of that, and the reason I went on this 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 tirade here after the family and friends guest episode with Lady No Grady is, we can complain about Hollywood and the music business all we want to. Number one, it exists. Number two, it's powerful. It's potent. It has major influence. It has major influence on culture. And so if we want to change the culture, if we want to change uh, this country, the culture is, is definitely upstream from politics. You can like that saying or not, but it is. It is. And, and part of the reason why we can't get uh, a, a lot of Republicans out to vote is because there's nothing moving them. That's why Donald Trump is a transformative figure, because his leadership, whether you agree with the delivery or not, it was needed. The braggadocious, crass style of Donald Trump was necessary Because without it, the movement is so stale. You people are stale. I'm sorry to say it. You're stale. You're old. Respectfully. And if if you can't accept that, then you're living in the same sort of denial that you you criticize the left of living in. Stale, old, uh, uptight, rigid, in all the wrong places. That's what the conservative movement has become. It took it took a you know it took a honey badger like a Steve Bannon, who's a lot less full of himself than your average conservative uh, uh, you know conservative commentator, to just kind of come before the American people and say it like it is with some with some style with a little bit of uh, you know with a little bit of mustard to him, and people and people like it that we needed that we need and we need more of it, not less of it. You know, and I just think about the Republican Party and what I saw at the state central committee meeting, uh, you know, last weekend. And I saw Tom Emmer and I saw Fishbach and all these other rhino extraordinaires from the Minnesota GOP get up on the podium, get up on the stage and, and, and say, we need to unite. We don't need to let the left, we don't need to give the left the ammunition to say that the Republicans are out of order or they're, you know, they're, there's chaos in the party or they're fighting amongst themselves. Who the fuck cares what the Democrats report on? Who cares what their reports are? I mean, who even thinks like that? 
Show me a person who is overly consumed with what the Democrats think about what's going on in our party, and I'll show you somebody who's really more or less a Democrat. I don't give a fuck what the what, what I don't give a fuck what the Star Tribune thinks about Republicans having a fight in the party. They want to live in an echo chamber. They want to live in a completely uh, vertically integrated political hegemony. That's fascism. They want the political party, they want the political platform to be the highest level of authority. They want the political party to become the state, to control the state, to run the state, and they want complete and utter submission up and down the line, complete vertical integration. That is fascism. That is Nazism. That is what they had there in Nazi Germany. What we have here in the Republican Party is a much-needed throwdown, fight. Anybody who says we need to unite under the, uh, under, under, um, we need to unite under the auspice of losing, the auspice of, of conceding any more ground, the auspice of, of uh, allowing the establishment to witch hunt truth tellers, anybody who says we need to concede to, in, in the interest of winning is, is no friend to you, the American citizen. There can be no more concession. There can be no more back steps. Now, we can't fight silly because we've, we've given up too much time and too much ground to do so. We have to fight hard, but we also have to fight smart. And part of fighting smart is not to dance around the hard issues. Part of fighting smart is to identify the hard issues and be as honest and transparent about those issues as possible so you can reach the people you need to reach that you can reach with some substance, and then you pray, and then you pray. But just like I was telling Nicole, part of the real scam here that's, that's true of both sides of the political spectrum is that these people believe that they can science their way to victory, that they can math their way to victory. Well, your math ain't mathing. Your science ain't sciencing. That's the reality. You, always, you, you have a serious, you have a profound lack of faith, and it shows. And it doesn't just show when you get down on your hands and, 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 and when you get down on your hands and knees and beg God to intervene. It doesn't just show then. It shows with, with your everyday actions, with what you're willing to fight for and what you're willing to bend to. Tom Emmer, Fishbach, they, all get up, they both get up on the stage as House reps here in Minnesota in front of the, the, the state central committee and have the audacity to badmouth Matt Gates for getting rid of McCarthy, just like neocon extraordinaire Mark Levin. To say that you have to have a plan if you want to take that kind of action? Well, how good does the plan have to be? Tell me, how good does our plan have to be to take action? And who's going to be the authority on that? Emmer? Fishbach? McCarthy? Rana? Mitt Romney? Who's going to be the authority? Who, who's going to be the, the standard bearer for how ready we need to be? How, how, how ironclad our plan needs to be before we act.
Tell me. Who should we wait on? For the okay, for the green light. The same neocon rhino establishment that got us here in the first place? Are you kidding me? If we have to have a plan, if our plan has to be so ironclad, tell me what the plan is now there in Russia and in Ukraine. Somebody tell me the plan there. Before we take one more step, before we send one more dollar, somebody tell me what the plan is there in Russia. And if we can't come up with a plan, that somebody with some, some resemblance of, of, of sense approves of, then we can't take one more step, right? Because we, we can't do anything without a plan. That, that was what they, no, that's not how things work in fairness. Things work, things go, things happen, and you have to adapt on the fly. And Matt Gates's move to oust McCarthy wasn't premeditated. It wasn't, pre- it, was, it was far less premeditated than the war we're now promulgating with Russia, that, it, that, that neocon uh, wonders like Nikki Haley are now at the top of the CNN poll. 51% of people say that they would vote for Nikki Haley. Are you people kidding? I'm just going to say it. I'm, I'm just going to say it. I'm not here to stroll. I'm not here to circle jerk you. I, I don't have the time. There's no point in it. Because if we, if we win lying, then we don't really win. We still lose. The amount of people in this country that would be willing to vote for Nikki Haley shows you exactly what's wrong with the country. You, you people out there that would vote for Nikki Haley. That's what's wrong with the country. It ain't even Nikki Haley. It's the fact that you all can't see through her, especially when she's so transparent. She's on the board of directors for one of the biggest military manufacturers in the world, and she wants to send us into another forever war. You tell me, how smart do you, how smart do you have to fucking be to see who she is? Just tell me. How smart do you have to be to see who that person is? And at the point where I observe people not acknowledge who she so blatantly presents herself to be, I have to start to condemn and question you, question and condemn you, rebuke and refute you, and I'm willing to do it. I, I'm not afraid of it. I don't give a fuck how many. Look, 99% of people in America could be in favor and support of Nikki Haley, and I would still motherfuck her the same way I'll motherfuck you. I don't give a fuck about uh, the, 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 the consensus of the majority. Because as I said since the beginning, democracy itself is one of the four great heresies of the West. The scientific method, oh, well, we'll science our way, you know, into goodness. Oh, science will solve the issues. And then democracy, oh, well, you know, science isn't really solving the issue because, hey, we bit off more than we can chew with the complexity and divinity of the universe and existence itself. So, hey, maybe if we just get everybody to agree, we can create our own truth, right? And then that didn't work. Then it was, ah, well, hey, you know, you can never get too you can never get enough people to agree for long enough to to convince everyone else that we found a solution to bridge the gap between man and God. So now let's add something uh, artificial into the equation. Well, let's let computer technology do it. That was the third heresy of the West, computer technology, which came in right around the end of World War II. When we uh, 
somehow let Nazis into our fucking government and justified that? How do you justify the morality in that? How do you build an entire new global political structure on the atrocities waged by the Nazis and reconstruct the entire monetary policy under the same auspice and then let the Nazis into your government in the name of science? Oh, somebody please tell me how that's moral or ethical. And now finally, it's all oh, computers. Computers still didn't do the job. Hey, there's a bandwidth problem. Computers can't, I mean, computers are only good as the humans using them. We need artificial intelligence. We need to go all the way. I'm sure Nikki Haley loves artificial intelligence. And my point is, it, 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 it's not just Nikki Haley. There's an archetype. And the archetype is right here in Minnesota, in the GOP. It's the same thing. The problem is us. And people ask me, well, why are you running against Amy Klobuchar? She seems like the one that's harder to beat. Why don't you run against this person or that person or this person? You're not getting it. This is not about winning and losing elections. This is a referendum on the people. I keep saying it. I'm going to keep fucking saying it until I'm blue in the face. This is a referendum on you. It's not about winning or losing the elections. Win or losing the elections is dependent upon the spirit of the people. You get the government you fucking deserve. And if you don't like that, doesn't matter much because you're still going to get the government you deserve. It's, it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. It doesn't matter what you think about it. You want to talk about facts not caring about your feelings, Ben, or any of you other fucking neocons? You want to talk about facts not caring about your feelings? Well, there's a fact that will never care about your feelings. You will get the government ultimately that you deserve. And you wonder why you got Joe Biden. Everybody wants to criticize Joe Biden. And we're right to criticize him. But half the people criticizing him don't really have a right to. He's a fucking neocon. That's who Joe Biden is. That's who Joe Biden is. That's, that, that, you know, that, that's the reality. He always has been a neocon. He always has been a, 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 you know, a, a, a political elite corrupt cuck motherfucker. That's the reality. You know, it, it is what it is. Neocon, neoliberal order. And right here in Minnesota is a great, great example. Oh, you're running against Amy Klobuchar. She's going to be hard to defeat. Part of the reason that she's hard to defeat is, as I, as I come to find out, a lot of Republicans like her. A lot of Republicans cross over to vote for Amy Klobuchar. I mean, what the fuck is going on here? These are the things we need to sort out first. I know who Ilhan Omar is. I know the game Ilhan Omar is playing. At least Ilhan Omar is willing to jump out there and sacrifice herself being a, a, a theatrical puppet of the left's uh, identity politics agenda. Amy Klobuchar is the most dangerous political archetype in this country. The Amy Klobuchars of the world are the most dangerous people in this country. The polite, polished, puppet politicians who preserve a corrupt status quo, just like Gavin Newsom. That's who Amy Klobuchar is. And there are Republicans who vote for Amy Klobuchar in Minnesota. If you're a Republican and you vote for Amy Klobuchar, you're a fucking Democrat. 
And I'm, I'm sorry to go off on a rant. I usually don't do that after an interview. But I think I, I, I'm inspired. You know, I mean, if we're going to talk about holy wars and Christianity and the attack on Christians and faith and what's going on here, we can't talk. We can't we can't mince words about it. Let's get down to the reality here. This ain't about winning or losing elections. This is about a referendum on the American people. This is about separating those who understand the dire situation we're in from those who think that this is some type of fucking social, uh, 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 you know, hobby, some type of passion, you know, some type of, uh, you know, pastime. I'm sorry, not passion, pastime. Politics isn't a fucking pastime or a, a hobby. This, this shit is a, it's a, it's a country. Your citizenship. And I go to State Central Committee and I, State Central, uh, you know, committee meeting for the Republican Party. And I just see person after person clap like a fucking seal for, for globalist, elitist, anti-American rhetoric. Sprinkled with a little bit of America first and MAGA on top. Right? Tom Emmer, Fishbach, they all get right up there and say, oh, you know, we got to unite. When we fight, the Democrats and the liberals just, you know, use it to, to, to say that we're not, you know, we're not uh, on the same page. Uh, boo-hoo. Boo-hoo if, 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 if the local fucking news channels, uh, you know, say that, that, that the Republican Party doesn't have all their ducks in a row. They're fighting. And what kind of fucking cuck-ass, suburban-ass fucking, you know, milk-toast bullshit is that? People fight. Sometimes fighting is necessary. And clearly, right now, the fight is necessary because both of them, Fishbach and Emmer, had the audacity to talk about the 2024 presidential election and, and, and uh, you know, us being up in the polls uh, against the Democrats, but wouldn't say Donald Trump's name. They wouldn't even say his name. Why? Because they're never Trumpers. Why? Because they're never MAGA. They're not America first. They can talk to you about abortion. Look, they talked about abortion. Easy. Everybody can talk about abortion. And, and, I, and I, as a Catholic, as a Christian, I agree with the position on abortion. But don't think for one minute that they're going to actually do anything to protect or preserve conservative Christian values. It ain't going to happen. It will not happen. It hasn't happened. We don't need to talk about what will or won't happen. It has not happened. Under people like this, the country has been turned over to Satanists. That's the reality. That's the fundamental reality. And if this is a meritocracy, the Republican Party, the GOP, the conservative movement for that matter, needs to have their feet held to the fire and be held accountable for their failures. You people are losers. And the reason why you're losers is because the constituents that have made you feel like you're special, like the ones who clap like fucking seals anytime you come up in the room and, and shout some, some bullshit, you know, buzz phrase. We have to protect our children in the schools. Not one of them is going to go out of their way to bring legal action against any number of companies or school districts for, for discriminating, let's say, against employees or, or their Christian students. Where are the lawsuits? Where are the lawsuits? 
Why have there not been lawsuits filed against the school systems, against the departments of education, against the Department of Education of the United States of America for allowing this LGBTQ movement to be pushed into the schools when it is completely antithetical to Christian values? Where are the lawsuits? This is not Christian. And even more so, it makes it, 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 it offends some Christians. It's insensitive to some Christians, to some Jews, to some Muslims, to have, to have this, this, you know, this ideology, this political movement pushed on students who, whose faith tradition doesn't, doesn't compute with it. So the entire school system, the entire community is going to be geared to protect the sensibilities and emotions of the, the minority or marginalized LGBTQ community. But the Christians are what? Are, are an afterthought? Where is Emmer? Where, where is Emmer speaking out against what's happened to the Minnesota school system and all the LGBTQ uh, uh, proselytizing that's going on for our, our, our grade schoolers? Why isn't Emmer showing up to the school board uh, meetings? Why isn't Emmer himself protesting? Why isn't he using his position, his, his comfortable, plush, luxury fucking position to, to, to protest? What is it, beneath our congressmen and women? Is it beneath our senators to protest? It's only so often you get to, you get to speak in the well of the Congress, and we all know you jerk-offs don't do much of that when you're there in D.C., you're too busy, you know, eating steak and drinking whiskey and ordering hookers, palling around with Epstein or going off to Davos to talk about climate change. Where are these people? Where are they in the streets? I'll tell you where they are. They're going to state central committee meetings and they're standing up on stage and lying to the Republican Party officers to try and ensure that they get endorsement for reelection. And if they can just pass that sniff test, if they can just pass that eye test, then they can stay in power long enough to fatten their own pockets and fill their own coffers. That's the reality. And they don't give a shit about trying to defeat an Amy Klobuchar. They like Amy Klobuchar being in power. The referendum's on you in Minnesota. If you like Amy Klobuchar, you're a part of the fucking problem. I don't need to convince you. I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to, I'm here to provide a viable alternative. You get to choose. Everybody gets to choose how the, how the country burns. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm not running for office for my own ego. It doesn't matter to me whether I win or lose. American politics isn't, isn't supposed to be a, a great wound or harm on the individual who runs. It's not a sporting event. If I trained all year around, blood, sweat, and tears, and I go to line up on the track, I go to line up on the track for a 40-yard dash, and I come in second by a couple tenths of a second, yeah, I'm sad. I break down. I'm, I'm disappointed in my performance. I think I could have done better. Maybe I didn't train hard enough. Maybe, maybe there's another level for me to get to that I need to go back and train more. Maybe I retire. Maybe I don't think there's anything better I could have done and I just wasn't good enough at that particular time on that particular day against that particular field of people. That's nothing like American fucking politics. This isn't a wound on me that I lost a primary to a fucking establishment shill like Cicely Davis, 
who was backed, by the way, by the same fucking person who's backing Nikki Haley. That's not a wound on me. I don't feel less than. I see it all the time in the comments on, on social media from the liberal left who doesn't want black men to run for office. They say, you're going to get smoked by Ilhan Omar. You're going to get smoked by Amy Klobuchar. Like it's a, like it's a, like, you know, like it's a fucking game of uh, 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 pinball or something. I don't even know. Pinball is a, 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 another self game. I don't even know. I don't even know what, what people think politics is supposed to be. It's a referendum on the people. And too often in human history, the individuals who have the most profound, the most clear sense of, of morals and ethics and of, of um, political worldview are the ones who are in the vast minority and persecuted for it. So isn't it ironic that we built a Christian nation where Christ himself was in a vast minority of people who were speaking the truth and were crucified for it, and somehow we come up with a system that places an emphasis on a Democratic majority. There's a question for your ass. How in the fuck did we build a country that has this, this, this obsession with the word democracy as though, as though a majority consensus can, can any and always solve, solve the issues? I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. And I'll tell you where the system has led us to. It's led us to where we are right now. Where the levers of power, not the levers of power in D.C., although, although it's those levers too, but the levers of power in the institutions that influence the vast majority, 50 plus one, the vast majority are all in control of our enemies. They're being controlled by our enemies. And that's why what Nicole is doing is important, to bring it back to the interview today. Because one of the most prominent ways that the enemy has infiltrated and influenced the vast majority is through superficial shit like music and music fucking videos. And you can look at it all you want to and say, oh, that's silly, or you can, whatever you want to do, you can say what you want. The proof is in the pudding. The results are the results. Yeah, when Lady Gaga goes out with 50 million of her, uh, her fucking followers and says, you know, you know, I don't know. I was born that way. Uh, being LGBTQ has nothing to do with mental health or mental illness. And, and, and we're going to worship Satan at the next concert or the, on the next tour. And you wonder why all your little kids and little girls are identifying as uh, 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 Z-Zim fairy Satanists. The proof is in the fucking pudding. And you all convinced yourselves that going to the, 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 the local uh, state central committee and, and, and lining up at the podium to, to, to jerk Emmer is saving the country. Give me a fucking break. And what makes it so bad is, even if you did a great job, even if you did a stand-up job, even if you did an impeccable, epic, legendary job at jerking Emmer, that motherfucker wouldn't save the country if his own life depended on it. He wouldn't know where to begin.
We appreciate Nicole coming on today, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. It's been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy. The referendum is on us. We have to start to build the parallel patriot alternative economies. We have to recreate our own institutions. We have to recreate our own industries, the industries that, that matter the most, not only our essential goods and our supply chains and have energy independence, but also culturally. Our cultural institutions, we have to build conservative schools. We have to build conservative charter schools. We have to build, uh, you know, new conservative universities, conservative after school programs. What about sports? Sports has been doused, inundated with liberalism, so much so that every professional sport bends to woke politics. But I'm not just talking about the professional sports and build new institutions in, in, in in that realm. But even at the youth level, facilities, pretty soon there'll be no facilities where Christians are welcome, Christian student-athletes. Every Christian school wants to, wants to, you know, charge money. And that's where the thing went off the rails, too. So you're walking a dangerous line when you try and conflate capitalism with Christianity. Let's just fucking say it. Dangerous line, dangerous territory you're in. What ends up happening is all of your Catholic and private schools charge too much fucking money for Catholics and Christians to come get educated the right way in the name of Christ. And all of a sudden, they're all at public schools getting trained and educated by Marxists and communists and Satanists for that matter. So don't talk to me about free market trade and free enterprise and any of that shit. That's how you lose your fucking country to Satanists. When your average average American citizen can't afford the tuition for a Catholic private school. Holy war. That's where the fucking holy war starts. Right here on our own soil. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy. The fight continues. Don't die jerk off. As always, Godspeed.